Hello again, everyone, and welcome to it. It is the Derek Hunter Podcast for the 29th of August, 2022. Happy Monday to you, ladies and gentlemen. I am Derek Hunter. I am your host. Appreciate you uh, giving me your time and your ears. Thank you very much for all of that. Uh, At the end of the program today, I will announce the winner of the signed book contest and which book is uh, won, and then we'll announce which books are up for grabs this week at patreon.com slash Podcast and derekhunter.locals.com, whichever you prefer. I find, I find, frankly, I find Patreon a lot easier to use. It'll let you put up stuff. Even if you're not a member, there's some pictures there of my family up there on the interwebs, and you can check us out before we got sick with COVID. Everybody's doing fine nobody's everybody's well the wife is still testing positive but other than that everybody else is fine and testing negative so just waiting on her give course she's always takes the longest shower and takes forever to get ready anyway you'll find out who wins what at the end of the program and then you'll find out what is up for grabs next week at the end of the program but before we get to any of that let's get let's do a show shall we I want to talk about Joe Biden and his um, complaint, his statement that being a uh, MAGA Republican is near fascism, uh, or semi-fascism, I guess, is the exact words. For some weird reason, there's no audio or video of this. It's a, it was a public event, attended, there's cameras there, but for some reason, I can't find any audio of it or video. Maybe nobody turned on the cameras because the rest of the thing is on camera. But he did say it. He said it in front of, it was in Rockville, Maryland at a rally for Democrats. It's kind of telling that the the only Democrats who want Joe Biden to come around are Democrats for whom he can do or to whom he can do no damage. Like still Joe Biden, his popularity is a little bit on the uptick, but not a lot. Democrats still don't want to be campaigning with him. And so the only place he can go is a place like Maryland, where even the Republican governor, Larry Hogan, is such a weasel that he refuses to campaign or support or vote for or even say anything negative against the Democrat. He won't work for the Republican because Larry Hogan isn't a Republican. Larry Hogan is for Larry Hogan. But you'll hear, and I got a couple of clips from this thing, and you'll see the reporting on uh, this event. You've already seen the reporting on this event. The crowd behind Joe Biden is all union, which means that they were paid to be there. They're all in their union. Provide That's the one thing. That's You got to admire this or be grateful about this, not admire, but be grateful about this with Democrats. When they hold these AstroTurf events, They can't help themselves. Each one of the special interest groups, the AFL, CIO, the SEIU, no matter what the union is, the IBEW, whatever it is that's endorsing these Democrats that has bought the party and the party owns, vice versa, they send out their goon squad, their drones, in uniform. 
in uniform. You don't see this at Republican events. You never see this at Republican events where you look behind the candidate and everybody, you know, this group is wearing their purple T-shirts and that group's wearing their green T-shirts and this group is wearing their red T-shirts and they have their signs that correlate with each individual interest group union because the unions are the only ones who can make sure that people show up you're on the payroll of the union go to this event or else and you don't you know the or else when you're dealing with unions is never ever pleasant so behind joe is a sea of adults in union t-shirts with their various union logos emblazoned upon it and various signs that color coordinate with their shirts And they're trying to give the impression that there's a whole bunch of people who desperately want to see Joe Biden and to a lesser extent, Wes Moore, who is the Democrat nominee for governor in the state of Maryland. There's no such thing. Is there anybody out there? I might go to a Joe Biden speech just to see if he can get through it. It's that kind of thing. The comedy aspect of it. But he's out there on the stump in front of a paid crowd and he tries, well, he doesn't try. He flat out, he says that uh, the goon squad, whatever he wants to call it, of the MAGA Republicans are semi-fascist. Well, who who are the Republicans that Joe Biden, because Joe Biden was going to be a healer, remember? He was the one who was going to bring the country together. My God, he was going to bring the country together the way he and Corn Pop came together in that parking lot. And he just doesn't understand why it is Republicans might not want to work with a guy who uses the power of government to control uh, corporations and power and partners with corporations to control. Wait, that's pretty close to the definition of fascism there. Huh? Weird. Anyway, Joe Biden goes on to tell the crowd that he likes the old time. He likes Larry Hogan here in Maryland. Why? Because Larry Hogan hates Republicans too. Larry Hogan hates conservatives. He's the perfect foil. He's a useful idiot. Also, Joe Biden could beat him in a push-up contest or a simply walking up a slight incline contest. Joe Biden could beat Larry Hogan in any kind of contest except for maybe, maybe pissing away a whole bunch of taxpayer dollars on COVID tests that don't work and probably an eating contest. On those two things, Larry Hogan would would beat Joe Biden. But on everything else, I'm not sure that Larry Hogan could beat Joe Biden. In any event, Joe Biden makes clear, he says right out there, he has no respect not only for anybody who voted for Donald Trump, but anybody who isn't repulsed by the idea of somebody voting for Donald Trump. There There are not many real Republicans anymore. By the way, your sitting governor, he's a Republican you can deal with. We disagree. No, no, I'm serious. But at least he's within the mainstream of the Republican Party. I respect conservative Republicans. I don't respect these MAGA Republicans. Folks, everybody thinks I'm exaggerating when I say this, but they're coming after your Social Security as well. And you think I'm kidding. (laughs) I <laughs> don't. I like conservative Republican. Really? Well, you do. Name one. Name a conservative Republican. Larry Hogan isn't a conservative Republican. He's not in the mainstream of the party. When you poll at a uh, who the hell is that percent in your own party outside of your state, you're not exactly. Now, if they polled 
people who work at CNN, Larry Hogan would likely be their favorite uh, Republican. If you polled people who work at This Week with George Stephanopoulos, there's no question. Larry Hogan is their guy. It's when you poll Republicans, you know, people who actually vote for Republicans, that Larry Hogan comes in just the other side of, you know, leg cramps for popularity. But Joe Biden, you know, that's not your father's Republican Party. You think JFK could get nominated by today's Democrat Party? Do you think he'd even be considered? Do you think a guy who was anti-communist, who loved this country, who served this country in uniform, in war, who volunteered to go to war, would be able to get a daytime speaking slot at the Democratic National Convention, let alone the nomination of his party? I mean, yeah, he's got the womanizing down, but even Democrats have turned against that. There's nothing, nothing that the Democrat Party of JFK stands for, stood for, that the modern Democratic Party stands for. Imagine JFK signing student loan forgiveness or authorizing a raid on Eisenhower's estate. No way in hell. So while the President of the United States is out there lying about Republicans and liking Republicans. It's really funny because remember Joe was middle class Joe. He's going to bring the country together. He was he's known in the Senate as a guy who could work across the aisle, except for the fact that he never really worked across the aisle. Was, aside from that, um, yeah, he, so much of Joe Biden. Well, everything about Joe Biden's life is made up by Joe Biden, as evidenced by, oh, I was arrested trying to go see Nelson Mandela on Robben Island. No, you weren't, Joe. No, you weren't. I mean, aside from the fact that it never happened, it's a great story. You, you were involved in the civil rights movement, except for the fact that you bragged about never being involved in the civil rights movement. The closest you came to being involved in the civil rights movement was a near rumble with Corn Pop at the... Uh, at the pool you worked at, and letting young black kids pet your oddly long leg hair or something like that. Whatever. he, um, These are his words, ladies and gentlemen. I, le- I recommend you look them up. Not mine. So when he's out there, I like, uh, I like conservative Republicans. Name one, Joe. Name one. He can't. So then he went on to say, and this is the thing that's frightening, and this is why Republicans really need to get their act together. They really need to come up with some kind of a unified campaign message that makes Joe Biden the face of the Democrats and makes every single Democrat own all of the wildly unpopular things that they are fighting for, that the party, the Democratic Party, is fighting for. Republicans are unbelievably bad at messaging. We'll get into that in a second. But while in Rockville, Joe, well, he went on a, to say he went on an incoherent rant in the middle of an incoherent rant is a little bit redundant. But he got some more Biden-isms here. This clip is one of those head scratchers where you're like, what in the hell are you talking about, Joe? But he talks about what he could do and Republicans, if you're paying attention, this is what you need to tell people because there's the President of the United States bragging about it. But uh, what he would do if he got two more Democrat senators and held on to the House of Representatives is absurd. Two months ago, that seemed absolutely absurd. That seems impossible, laughable even. But Republicans have done such a poor job 
of campaigning that it is possible. It's entirely possible. It's not probable yet, but it is possible, and hopefully that will serve as a wake-up call, a nice cold glass of water thrown in the face of Republicans to say, hey, maybe we need to start campaigning. Maybe we need to start doing a little bit better job in the campaign, spend our money strategically, maybe get some popular Republicans off the sidelines like Donald Trump. Donald Trump got a whole bunch of these people nominated, but winning the nomination doesn't mean squat if you lose the general election. So maybe you got to get out there and spend some money. Former president has raised a couple hundred million dollars. He could spend some of that money. Oh, he's raising it for 2024. 2024 is irrelevant if you lose in 2022. It really is. And there's plenty of time to re-raise that money. Plus, you're a billionaire, right? Anyway, listen to the president say what he could do if he just had a brain. I'm sorry. No, wrong song. If he only had two more Democrat senators. That's within our hands if we just vote. If we elect two more senators, we keep the House and Democrats... We're going to get a lot of unfinished business. We're going to get done. Folks, look, we'll codify Roe v. Wade. We'll ban, we'll ban assault weapons. We'll protect Social Security and Medicare. We'll pass universal pre-K. We'll restore the child care tax credit. We'll protect voting rights. We'll pass election reform and make no, make sure no one, no one ever has an opportunity to steal an election again. Make sure no one ever has an opportunity to steal an election again. Who stole an election? To steal an election again. Who stole an election, Joe? As I thought that even the mere suggestion that an election was stolen was somehow a threat to our democracy, right? I thought, that's my understanding of the direct interpretation of exact quotes from Democrats' mouths. Uh, that uh, suggesting that elections were anything other than completely 100% legitimate was a threat to democracy. And yet there's the president of the United States saying the opposite there. It's just weird. Just weird. Just throwing it out there, Joe. I'd like to know what's going on. But he's got a, quite a wish list there. We're going to ban assault weapons. What's an assault weapon? It's a, any gun that I don't like. Hmm. While you banned assault weapons in the past, Joe, you were the author of the assault weapons ban, the crime bill. And Columbine happened during that. You really were the sort of uh, godfather. You were the author of the piece of legislation under which the school shooting epidemic started. Kind of the godfather of the school shooting epidemic then, wouldn't you be? Now, if you were a Republican, that's the way it would be framed. Since he's a Democrat, it will be ignored. But it is just an interesting coincidence that he gets what he wanted and it leads to a mass of school shootings. Very weird. But they're going to do all sorts of things that involve spending a whole bunch more money that involve much more inflation because those things that spend money, there's no way to pay for them, are inflationary. They print money. They use accounting gimmicks to pretend that they didn't print money. Just like the Fed printing money to buy our debt 
was not called printing money to buy our debt. It was called quantitative easing. See, it's quantitative easing. Now, do you have any idea what quantitative, if you just heard quantitative easing, and it sounds innocuous enough, well, our quantitative is being eased. I mean, you don't want a tense quantitative, right? Certainly wouldn't want a tense. Look, I've had my quantitative all tensed up, and you got to go to a chiropractor, you got to get massage. They really got to work it out. You want the quantitative easing to prevent the quantitative seizing. But what does that mean in the grand scheme of things? It really means that the Federal Reserve prints money to buy Federal Reserve notes, to buy Treasury bills, to buy our own debt. Not all of it. There's still some countries, mostly China, out there willing to buy some of it. But when we're really cranking out the debt, there's not enough uh, people out there, entities out there willing to willing to put up the money to buy all of our debt. And if you can't, have, if you've got a whole bunch of your debt hanging out, you're offering it, you're dangling it out there, please buy some of our debt. Help us finance our present by mortgaging our future and you got no takers. Well, that brings about its own set of problems. Serious, serious problems. So the Fed had to just keep on buying it and buying it and buying it and printing and buying it and printing and buying it. That leads to inflation. You just spent a trillion dollars this month, Joe, a trillion more dollars this month, and you're talking about spending a whole bunch more. By the way, when he sits there and we'll fix Social Security, we'll fix Medicare, we'll fix this, we'll fix that, we'll fix the other thing. Every single thing you heard Joe Biden in that clip say that they were going to address, that they were going to fix, are things that throughout the entirety of my lifetime and probably yours, Democrats have been saying they are going to campaign on, they are going to fix, they are going to do this, they are going to do that, they are going to do the other thing. They fixed yet? The Republicans aren't a whole lot better, but at least Republicans have tried to do something like shore up Social Security, make sure that Social Security doesn't collapse for the people who are desperately dependent upon it. If you remember back in 2000, the mid 2000s, 2004, 2006, somewhere in there, George W. Bush, then president of the United States, did what? He tried to push forward reforms to Social Security. Now, why would you need to reform Social Security? Because Social Security is in trouble. Social Security, they're far, when Social Security started, there were something like 12 people working per every retiree. So 12 people paying into it per every beneficiary. Now it is two to one about roughly two to one, two people working for every one person receiving a benefit. That will soon be one to one, by the way, which will be uh, not good for everybody involved, the people paying and the people receiving, but that's beside the point. Social Security needs some kind of change. But you're not allowed to talk about that. So when George W. Bush proposed, you, I, everybody out there, be allowed to take 3%, it was 3%, just 3% of their Social Security money that the government takes. Take 3% of it 
And if they so choose, not forced, but if they so choose, they could invest it in the stock market. The Democrats went absolutely crazy. You're trying to privatize Social Security. You're trying to privatize Social Security. It was really just Democrats screaming, look, the American people are too damn stupid to know where to put their money, to put stock in. anything. They're too damn stupid. Well, then don't do it. You don't have to do it. It's voluntary. But that 3%, this is what the Democrats really had a problem with, that 3%, should you pass away before you get to the age of collecting Social Security, or should you pass away while collecting Social Security, but that money not uh, have all been disbursed, been paid out, you would be able to give that to your, your, your descendants, your children. They could inherit that money. Whereas if you paid into your Social Security your entire life and 66 years old comes along and decide to retire and go on Social Security and on the way to fill out the paperwork, you get hit by a bus and get killed, that money is gone. You get like a couple hundred bucks as a death benefit and a nice pat on the head to your, uh, to your family members saying, yeah, geez, sorry, uh, great-grandpa paid off, uh, paid into Social Security his whole life, but you get nothing. Thanks for that. Democrats didn't like the idea of even 3% of that money escaping their control, their grasp. So what did they do? They insisted that there's nothing wrong with Social Security. I'll never forget seeing Michael Moore all over CNN and MSNBC. He was pimping the website, there is no crisis. I think it was at thereisnocrisis.com. The Democrats set this up to say there's no problem with Social Security. There's no problem with Social Security. There is no crisis. There's no need to fix anything because there's nothing that's broken. Well, now the president of the United States is saying they're going to shore up and fix Social Security so it doesn't go bankrupt. Well, why? How is that even possible? How is that even possible if there's no crisis, if there's no problem? See, when Democrats are in power, they want, they admit that there are problems because they only like their solution. Their solution is what? Bigger government, more government control, lifting the cap on Social Security taxes, for example, which would take it from a pay-as-you-go program where you put in money and you get that back to a complete and total welfare thing where you'll never, never get back what you pay in, but other people will get back what you paid in. That's welfare. That's a wealth transfer. It's another way for Democrats to buy votes. Because Democrats, as they demonstrated this week with the student loan giveaway, they cannot earn votes, but boy, howdy damn it, can they buy them with our money. So to sit there and say, oh, we're going to fix Social Security is to passively acknowledge that there is a problem with Social Security because there is a problem with Social Security. There's also a problem with Medicare. That's the bigger problem, by the way. Social Security is... Um, Social Security is a more direct problem that people will notice because the increases in Social Security will have to continue to shrink, to prolong it. They're, they're, not, they're playing kick the can. They don't ever want to actually address anything. Whereas the fixes for Medicare for the next few years anyway, the, un, the unfunded liabilities, meaning the difference between the projected incomes for Medicare and the projected outlays for Medicare is somewhere in the neighborhood of $100 trillion, right? It's a ridiculous amount of money over the next, uh, I think it's 25 years. But the uh, projected difference between Social Security's outlays and incomes is only about $10 trillion. 
it's easier to address that. It's easier to kick that can further down the road. So they get more creative with the Medicare fix. They do what's called the, uh, well, they always have to do, and you'll hear this every couple of years when it's budget time, a doc fix. Just a reminder, again, I always say it because it's true. If you ran your company's books the way the government runs their books, you would go to jail and you would deserve to go to jail. The government can do whatever the hell they want because what are they going to do, arrest themselves? The doc fix is they project 10-year costs to Medicare, right? And they, uh, in order to keep that projection down, in order to keep spending money and pretend that it is solvent for longer than it is, they'll say, in, uh, well, we're going to spend uh, $100 billion a year paying doctors. It'll go up 10% a year, so doctors will make more money, and uh, it'll keep up with the cost of inflation and blah, blah, blah. But in years five and six, we're only going to pay doctors $20 billion. And you say, how does that How's that even possible? How do you go from $140 billion or whatever in year four to $20 billion? Like what, what happens? Where's that? It never actually happens, but that allows the 10-year projection to be much smaller than it actually is. So that when year five comes up in the budget process, they go, oh, we got to do the doc fix. And the doc fix is we've got to fill that hole that we dug. But they don't ever actually fill the hole. What they do is they dig a deeper hole further down the road in year five and six in the next budget window that's even deeper and uh, pretend that they fixed the problem. It is dealing with the immediate. Again, if you did your books this way, you'd go to jail and you would deserve to go to jail. But they're government. This is how they work. So when Joe says, we're going to fix Social Security, we're going to fix Medicare, he's not. Because they won't actually acknowledge what the problems are with these programs. Social Security is popular as it is with the recipients because who doesn't like getting money every month and you feel like you paid into it because you did. But it is a Ponzi scheme. And the Ponzi scheme is coming due. You can have a really successful Ponzi scheme when you've got a dozen people working for every retiree. When you set the age of retirement and qualifications for Social Security at two years past the average lifespan, it's really easy to create a successful program. The problem is medical procedures advance, people live longer, and suddenly the baby boom starts, and then the baby boom stops, and those baby boomers start to retire. And it's suddenly a top-heavy instead of a bottom-heavy Ponzi scheme. Bernie Madoff had nothing on the Social Security Administration. But don't worry, Joe Biden's going to fix it. All you got to do is send two more Democrats to Washington, D.C. Yeah. It's, uh, it's not going to work out very well for anybody. I, I, apropos of, of nothing, really, let me find this tweet. Because I, uh, I tweeted about this this morning where this was going on. And it's like, oh, this is who the Democrats are. This is what the Democrats have been. Democrat, okay, here it is. From the blaze, D.C. mayor says unvaccinated students will have no virtual instruction. Washington, D.C., Mayor Muriel Bowser, Democrat, this day is long, the District of Columbia. They do not and will not teach virtually kids who are not vaccinated. Well, Washington, D.C. is overwhelmingly black. It is. And the vast majority, or at least the plurality, 40% of the students who are, well, 
the, it, this would leave out, it's not 40% of the students who are unvaccinated, but the students who uh, will be left out of this, 40% of them are black. They don't care. They don't give a damn. The mayor doesn't care. So when Democrats were the party of slavery, they made it illegal to teach black people how to read. Since being forced to accept the end of slavery, which they did not want, they fought a war to try to keep it. Democrats have been pushing the exact same agenda just by other means. They never changed their objectives, only tactics. Only tactics. It's now legal to teach black kids to read. It's just not done. It's not done by people who support the Democrat Party, who have the undying, unwavering support of the Democrat Party. There's no attempt to hold the teachers' unions accountable. There's no attempt to hold local school boards accountable. Local administrators, they don't care. They simply do not care. The Blaze has the story. Washington, D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser, a Democrat, confirmed Thursday that there were no virtual instruction options for unvaccinated students, which would leave about 40% of black students without any schooling at all. Bowser was speaking to reporters at a media briefing when she made the comments, quote, they can go to school on Monday, but they need to get their vaccinations and their families will be alerted as to the dates. When pressed about online instructions being available to unvaccinated students, Bowser admitted there would be no such opportunity. Quote, we're not offering remote learning for children and families will need to comply with what is necessary to come to school, end quote. Get the shot or you don't get an education. And oh, by the way, if you don't get an education, you'll be breaking the law. Now, Democrats are the ones who want to decriminalize everything. Oh, you're caught with 15 pounds of heroin in your pants. Well, if you're Hunter Biden, maybe that's for personal use. Most people would probably look at that as uh, maybe you're going to distribute that. But what do you get? You get Democrats saying we've over-criminalized everything. We have far too many people in prison, particularly people of this particular color or this particular ethnicity, and therefore we need to decriminalize it. And you create open-air drug markets where the sale of drugs, it's not legal, but nobody goes in there. You can shoot up your drugs there. It's not legal, but, you know, we're going to give you the Narcan just in case you uh, overdose making it uh, much more likely that you're overdosed because the consequences for overdose are uh, nothing. But if you don't go to school, they're going to throw you in jail. If you don't comply with this shot, they're going to find a way to criminalize what you're doing and throw you in jail. That's it. Your kids, they will set the bar. Schooling is a right. Education is a right. Now get the shot. Bodily autonomy, you must be able to choose to terminate a pregnancy. You must be able to, you have to be able to choose to terminate a pregnancy. What kind of a monster wouldn't want you to do that? Women deserve bodily autonomy. Now get your seven-year-old to get the shot. Damn it. Or else. Anybody seeing a disconnect there? And oh, by the way, the consequences are, if you don't, is your kid simply won't learn. Unless you have the money to go to a private school, which in the District of Columbia, the vast majority of black residents do not have, thanks to years, generations, really, of Democrat control, Democrat rule, they don't have the ability to afford private school. 
What is the difference between what the Democrats advocated 150 years ago and what Democrats are advocating today? I ask you that rhetorically because the answer is there is no difference. The tactic has changed. The objective remains the same. The outcome remains the same. You make it illegal to teach a slave how to read and you make it impossible to teach a black child to read. Already the school district is doing a bang-up job. This is just the way to make it even more thorough. This is the way to make it even more thorough. Quote, around 40% of black students in the district are unvaccinated and therefore under the district's current policy regarding schools will be unable to attend school, the Daily Signal reported. This is why the district uh, why is the district continuing with this policy when it seems to disproportionately impact black students? The mayor responded, quote, I don't think that number is correct. We have substantially fewer number of kids that we have to engage with vaccination. And as I explained is imp- why it is important, it is important for the public health of our students that, uh, and that can maintain safe environments. Well, the number, 40%, comes directly from the Washington, D.C. government. So it's their number. If it's an incorrect number, the mayor should find a reflective surface really quickly and figure out who in the hell gave her the wrong number, gave her government the wrong number. As for the vaccine, the President of the United States just had two bouts of COVID. Double vaxxed, double boosted. The First Lady of the United States, the Reverend Dr. Jill Biden, is currently in the midst of a COVID rebound. Two bouts of COVID in the last two weeks. Fully vaccinated, fully boosted. My father, fully vaccinated, fully boosted. COVID. So to say we need this or else is absurd. The idea that we cannot be honest about what's going on in society because it upsets Democrats' other objectives is the real problem here. This is what the left is trying to do. It's about control. Obey. I'm going to put this hoop up here. Jump through it. All right? Some people jump through it. Now I'm going to set up another hoop, and I'm going to set this one on fire. So jump through the original hoop, and then set and jump through the uh, the hoop that's on fire. And then we're going to put a third hoop there. It's going to be spiky. But jump through it, and you keep jumping through as many hoops as you want. What's sad is that there are so many of the people in the public who continue to go, all right, well, let me help you set up the next hoop. Let me help you set up the next hoop without questioning. It's scary This is how totalitarianism comes to be. If you look at a lot of, not all, but a lot of the totalitarian regimes in the past 150, 100 years, many of them came to power through elections. Many of them came to power through legitimate elections. And then they kept creating new scenarios where they needed to solidify their power they needed to they had to it was important it's crucial 
and people voted for oh you'll give me security if i just give you a little bit more okay more security all right we'll be safer all right here's a little bit more here's a little bit more here's a little bit more and sooner or later it's gone sooner or later it's gone yeah the president of the united states demonizing half the country as semi-fascists while partnering with corporate america to oppress people to control discussions to control information and control the population and somehow it's the party that didn't do those things it's the party that didn't dispatch the fbi to facebook to tell them to suppress the hunter biden laptop story before the last election it's the party that didn't do that that is somehow a threat to democracy anybody see how that works a little weird isn't it it's almost like they're doing exactly the opposite of what they say they're doing they're actually engaging in what they say they're trying to fight what they say that they're afraid of that's the game ladies and gentlemen that's how it works i want to shift gears up here to um I'm going to play, this is how far, you talk about the left bastardizing the language, sort of butchering reality, taking just, it is amazing to me. And you have to sit there and you go, do these Democrats really mean this? Or are they all just playing along? Because you look and you think, Joe Biden knows what a woman is. Joe Biden knows what a man is. Joe Biden has never been accused of sexually assaulting or making a pass at a man. But staffer, male staffers, but female staffers, sure. He doesn't, you don't see him sniffing the hair of guys. You don't see him coming up behind a dude and putting his arms around that guy at a ceremony in a really creepy way and shoving his nose into their ear. It doesn't happen. Joe Biden knows what a woman is and knows what a man is. Nancy Pelosi, been around long enough, been around since the earth cooled, really. She knows what a man is and what a woman is. She knows that, you know, that her husband likes one and not the other, more so than the other one. But you have the whole party going boy it could mean anything it could be anybody who's to say what a man is or what a woman is and you you sit there and you go they can't mean this right they can't mean this there has to be some long con they're playing off of this or they're just going you know what this is what the base wants let's throw in this red meat we're never it's never really going to matter we'll just say birthing person and play along and they're all so old that they'll be long since dead and buried by the time the piper comes around with the check to be paid. Could be, if you're the ultimate cynic, that could be one way to look at it. But it's beyond the Democrat Party. It is in corporate America that they've gone down this road where, who knows, a woman can mean anything, a man can be anything, and there's all sorts of stuff in between. And corporate America is playing along governments universities they're all playing along and it's happening around the world and now we have something because you sit there and you go well we're the democrats say we're the party of science we're the party of science and you sit there and you go okay well show me a man pushing a a, a, a newborn through his urethra and men can't get pregnant so on and so forth there were certain biological realities that we as common sense conservatives could fall back on and go you can play your little games 
You can play your reindeer games, Rudolph, but at the end of the day, you know as well as I do what a man is and what a woman is, and you, you, you can deny it till the cows come home, but when the cow comes home, you'll realize that cow is, is a girl cow, right? Well, now that's changing. The institutions, and this is what the left does, they engage ultimately in institutional rot in every way possible. Scientific American, a journal of science, magazine of science, a well-respected, long time, been around a while, the magazine institution, is now doing a series on gender and how it can be anything and who's to say and what have you. It's just one of life's great mysteries now. <laughs> it really is bizarre that we've come to this point. At Scientific America, they, they, Scientific American, they sent out this series of tweets. In a, the second episode of our documentary series, A Question of Sex, we look at how people with sex variations are challenging longstanding notions of the binary in medicine. Now, the binary is men and women, you know, the biological reality, binary meaning two, the two choices, men and women. And they, have, they interview this person, I guess it's Sean Sophia Wall, describes himself as a intersex activist, visual artist, and certified hellraiser. And uh, as a child, I'm not going to play the audio because I can clean it up a little bit. It's nothing, there's nothing filthy, there's nothing against FCC regulations, but there are certain things in there where you're just like, what is going on? They say that at 13, age 13, Wall underwent surgery to remove internal testes, testicles, castrated, essentially which were thought to carry the risk of cancer. Not long after, he attended a consultation with the same doctor for a cosmetic procedure that involved... Now, it's a bit of a hermaphroditic situation. But talking about shaving down certain parts of the female anatomy, getting rid of them. 13 years old. Now, luckily, thankfully, this person said no. No, freaked out at age 13 when described in graphic detail how this goes. Now they've come up with more friendly terms to describe these procedures that I'm sure will not freak out children who are confused, who are being pressured by their parents. But I want you to listen to this clip from their documentary. There's a couple of clips and you can go and you can watch the whole uh, episode of it. You want to know how far the rot has gotten from the left into our culture, into common sense. That scientific American is now aiding in the changing of the definition of gender. While gendered social structures are ancient, a binary framework of biological sex didn't actually exist in Western culture until the late 18th century. Before, science recognized only one sex, the male, and considered the female body an inferior version of it. The shift that historians call the two-sex model served mainly to reinforce gender and racial divisions by tying social status to the body. <laughs> it only served uh, the extent existing racial and gender, but uh, gender is, I don't know, 
racist now? This is Scientific American. This isn't some gender studies course at, uh, you know, Smith College. This is Scientific American. You want to know how far the rot has gotten? gotten? This is how far the rot has gotten. This is how far the rot has gotten. That Scientific American is now saying, look, the idea of two genders is, is very new. It's not very new. It's the basis of our existence as a species since the beginning. Were it not for that difference, and viva la difference, there would be no no us. We wouldn't have lasted very long. If it were, in fact, Adam and Steve, that would have been it. That would have been it. It wasn't. To sit there, well, it's only existed in Western culture. They lie about Western culture because they hate Western culture. Western culture has to be the root of all evil. As if, you know, uh, Asian culture and African culture was so into gender equality back in the day, well, thousands of years ago, why they did this, that, and the other thing. They were so much better and more advanced than we were you know, in every way except for any way that mattered as far as technology or anything like that. Sure, yeah, great, congratulations. But you sit there and you look at this garbage and you go, what, are, what is the end result? What is the ultimate goal of this? It isn't to get you to suddenly have an epiphany and go, aha, aha, now I get it. Now I get it. Gender is a social construct, as they've been saying for years. No, the objective here is to normalize them changing the parameters of reality and using institutions like Scientific American to do it so that when you do not comply, when you treat your son like a son or your daughter like a daughter or you speak like a normal human being rather than continue to play these games of Z-Zay and, oh, you're now a bird, so I'll use your pronouns and things like that. Instead of that, they now have the stamp of legitimacy of the scientific American, so that when you step out of line, if you dare step out of line, it's ultimately designed to keep you afraid to step out of line, afraid to not use somebody's weird made-up pronouns and pretend that there's some new gender 27 that they just made up that morning. It wants to make you afraid. They're giving you the justification. They're giving your human resources department of your woke corporation the justification, the covering fire to fire you if you don't obey, if you don't play that game, if you stay out of line. Now, it's not about the game. They don't give a damn about transgender people. Do you really think Hillary Clinton is losing sleep over anything related to anybody transgender? No, she's not. It's a means of control. It's a means of control. They're not the ones being held accountable. They can screw up. They can, you know, talk like normal people. But when it counts, when the cameras are on, when they're in front of a microphone, they'll play that game. And if you don't play that game, they will then have justification for you to be canceled, to be ruined. You see that happen enough and you begin to just be quiet. You begin to be quiet. You begin to withdraw, all right? Your voice is then withdrawn from the public square. Not because you don't believe what you used to believe, but because you recognize that maybe maybe you don't care about the gender issue, but you recognize that if you exist, even temporarily, you step outside of the parameters that are forever moving and determined by the left, 
you could really run afoul and ruin your life. You lose your job, lose your house, lose everything. So you don't want to say anything. Maybe you try to do it anonymously online, express yourself anonymously on social media, but then they have an army of flying monkeys on social media like Taylor Lorenz's of the world at the Washington Post to track down who you are, to use internet detective tactics to find out where you are and who you are and expose you again if you should become too influential online. This is all part of the same means of control. And Joe Biden says it is the Trump Republicans who are semi-fascistic. No, no, no. Physician heal thyself. It's the left. Got a couple more things I want to get to because of the California. Of course, I want to play you this clip from a Reuters report. If you're sitting there going, well, that's a really uncompelling bit of uh, narration there. But it's because it's not a TV person. It's a print journalist doing doing narration, but it sums up nicely what California is trying to do. It's watching a state commit suicide in the name of progressivism. And you sit there and you go, well, thank God I live on the other side of the country from that. And you realize, no, 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 stupidity spreads like a cold on a plane. It'll come and get you if you don't actively fight it everywhere. Here's where they're getting rid of the internal combustion engine out there in California. In just a little over a decade, gas pumps in California could be well on their way to becoming a thing of the past. On Thursday, the California Air Resources Board, or CARB, voted to adopt sweeping regulations that would end the sale of gas-powered vehicles in America's most populous state by 2035. Instead, the state will require all new vehicles sold there to be fully electric or plug-in electric hybrids that could also have gasoline engines. Officials say that would put them on track to cutting smog-causing pollution from light-duty vehicles in 2037 by (laughs) one-fourth. They can't generate enough electricity to meet demand. Their power grid crashes because the people there are demanding too much electricity. And they're going to make all cars sold in 2035, 2036 to be electric. 100% electric, not hybrid. No, no, not hybrid. And you do all that crap, you commit that kind of suicide, and they say it'll cut smog by a quarter. What the hell? They have smog machines up in the mountains? Now, the California Air Resource Border, CARB, is a bunch of unelected people. Nobody runs for that, as far as I know. So, congratulations, I guess, California, as we watch you commit suicide. It's your economy. You can do what you want, but... Good luck. If you're going to buy a, a new electric vehicle, the average price of an electric vehicle is about just over $60,000. So poor Californians, get ready. I mean, maybe the prices will come down some, but the Democrats' industrial complex will not allow for the mining of the rare earth materials necessary to create the lithium-ion batteries. So Good luck with that. There's not going to be a surge in the supply of those materials, which means that the price of those batteries will not come down in any appreciable way because the supply won't go up. It either means you've got to subsidize it more than they are already, or you've got to pay more. So you get this story from the Autoblog, autoblog.com. 
about the cost of replacing a battery. So it's a growing, uh, there's a growing hubbub in the plug-in vehicle community over what looks like some ridiculously cheap replacement batteries for the Chevy Volt going up for sale. GM Parts Online is selling replacement Volt batteries uh, with an uh, manufacturer suggested retail price of $3,000. With an online discount, you can get it down to 2300 bucks. But is that the case? Well, they found that is not the case, at least as of that time. That the batteries, you can get certain parts of the batteries replaced for about $3,000 per component. But to get an entire battery replaced in a Chevy Volt, it costs, it can cost up to $34,000. They called several car dealerships. They got a wide range of prices and they said, well, we don't, we can't give you a price. We don't know. You got to bring the car in. They wanted them in there. I think they're afraid to talk about it, but upwards of $34,000 to replace a battery. Now, a lot of these cars will give you a 10-year warranty on the battery, but there's all sorts of ways to void a warranty. And you also have to worry about the car getting too cold. A lot of them have heating elements to keep the battery warm in winter. But those will only work up to a certain extent. If it gets really, really cold, you get an Arctic blast, a nor'easter, you could be in for a world of hurt because it'll kill your battery. It's not like you kill the battery and then you just got to plug it in extra long. You kill the battery and it's dead. So you pay 50, 60 grand for the car and then you got to shell out another 20, 30 grand to replace the battery. This is why I say you'd have to absolutely be insane, insane to buy a used electric vehicle. And you'd have to be insane to add anything to an electric vehicle you buy. Everything you bought, you got to have at the factory put it in. I want it exactly like this. I'll add nothing. Don't even put a sticker on the window because they'll find a way to void your warranty. And good luck to you if they do. So that's what California is doing. This story is kind of funny. There's a, there's a, a vote coming. It's two places, California and Washington, D.C. There's a vote coming up soon. In California, maybe I'll get more into this in another show. But they want to make it so in Los Angeles, you can house the upwards of 60,000 people. See, there's 60,000 people, according to CNN, 60,000 homeless in Los Angeles and 20,000 vacant hotel rooms on any given night. They want to pass a law through referendum that forces hotels to give those vacant rooms every night to homeless people. How do you think that's going to work out? You really think that's going to work out all that well? Most homeless people have mental and or substance abuse problems. How do you think that's going to work out if you get them in a hotel? Do you think they're going to leave willingly? Do you think that's going to go swimmingly well? But this is progressive government. Progressive government doesn't care. They're not going to actually face the consequences. The government won't. They'll just destroy businesses. Who cares? And then you get progressive government reaping what it sows. This from Reuters. Nearly a month after arriving with their one-year-old daughter on a bus sent by the governor of Texas to Washington, D.C., Columbia couple Norales Zuniga and Juan Camilo Mendoza. Oh, they're not married, you mean? are unsure how long they will be allowed to stay in their city-funded hotel room. The couple who said they left Colombia in May after their house in Medellin collapsed due to heavy rains have tried unsuccessfully to find medical care for their baby 
Evangeline. She has welts on her skin after the family's arduous 10-day trek on foot through 10-day walk. It's child abuse. Washington, D.C. can't handle. Washington, D.C. got 7,000 illegal aliens, and they can't handle them. 7,000. A sanctuary city. It's really easy to be a sanctuary city when you're not anywhere near where the issues are occurring. I can I can care very deeply about people crossing the border in Southern California because I live 3,000 miles away from it. You start bussing them to my neighborhood and suddenly it's a different story altogether. So these cities, New York and Washington, D.C., are finding themselves incapable of handling 7,000 illegal aliens when they expect the border states to handle hundreds of thousands every single month and to shut up about it. <laughs> that ain't the way it works, baby. You want to be the sanctuary city, we'll send you all the sanctuary seekers you could possibly handle. What could possibly go wrong? It's your medicine, man. Open up wide and take it. It's your damn fault. Good luck to you. I don't mean that. <laughs> all right, that is enough for today. Now it's time to just get down to the business. Why anybody listens to anything news-related on a Monday. And that's for the autographed book giveaway. Congratulations to Dean Bell. Dean Bell, you win, my friend. Uh, check your messages through Patreon. You'll have one from me seeking your address. Not only so I might be able to crash there sometime, but so I can send you the signed Cy Robertson book that you chose as your prize. As such, that means that Greg Gutfeld is returning for another week. And this week, it is against a comedy legend. Canadian, but still a comedy legend. Martin Short, Ed Grimley himself, one of the three amigos, been in everything. Now he's in some uh, series with, with Steve Martin. It's, he's a big, big name. And you can win his autobiography, autographed by him. It's called I Must Say by Martin Short. Now, it says, it is, I must say, my life as a humble comedy legend. So, go to patreon.com slash Derek Hunter podcast or derekhunter.locals.com. You will see the book. You will see the Greg Gutfeld book. Both are autographed by the author. You will see the autographs there. You will win that very same copy should you enter which one you want to win on that post and your name be drawn. Congratulations, Dean Bell, and congratulations to really all of us for being super cool. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to enter the Weekend Effing Review and all that good stuff. Ah, it's almost the end of August. I'll see you guys on Tuesday. Have a great one.